welcome to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. I'm the Bill Arnold part of that sentence. It's going to be a great hour. Dr. Alex McFarland is uh, on the line, ready to come on the show. We have to be really nice to him today because he's been on the radio since 10 o'clock this morning. I don't know what's going on, but uh, he's been uh, so faithful as a guest, and he always shows up and brings his very best. And then Dr. Michael Youssef is going to be joining me in the second half of the hour. You know him as the founder of Leading the Way Ministries. It's a, a worldwide media ministry, and he is a delight. He's written a new book called Counting Stars in an Empty Sky, Trusting God's Promises for Your Impossibilities. That's what's all ahead coming up on this hour. Welcome to Friday if you're just climbing into your car. I certainly hope your you know, work day has gone well. Maybe you're just heading in your car to go to work. I like it that I get you when you're coming and going. We'll take uh, 60 seconds and bring on Alex. Dr. Alex McFarland is a religion and culture expert, creator of the Truth for a New Generation Conference. Got one coming up here in uh, Richmond, Virginia in October, October 11 and 12. So we want to talk about that as well. But he's uh, also authored many books, I think upwards of 20 plus, hosts a radio show. He's been on the air since 10 o'clock this morning. So he is going the extra mile, getting the Most Valuable Player Award. And welcome, Alex, to the show. Well, I think we could put it this way, that we saved the best for last. No. <laughs> You're so smart, as Getting always. Getting to talk to Bill Arnold on uh, the Faith Radio Network. What, what a privilege. I, and, uh, I love when you, you say know, that. I was reading the biography of a pastor who talked about repentance and his former life, that he cannot go back to his former life. And I thought it was interesting. Some of the guitar music that you play includes a, a great guitar solo by Lindsey Buckingham. And I, I'm in my mind, I'm going back to my older sister's record collection mm-hmm. in the 70s. Yes, you was, are. Was that a song called Never Going Back Again? That's exactly what it is. Is it real? Yeah. Just amazing finger-picking there by Lindsey Buckingham. It, but yeah, he's so good. When we turn to Christ, the old way of life, um, whether it be overt sin or worry, fear, just what it means to be lost— Hey, we're never going back again, are we? That's exactly how I feel. Never going back. You know, and then I remember that great line that Augustine had when he was obviously a well-known womanizer and came to faith and decided that he was never going back and ran into a woman that he had previous relationships with and had that interaction where they saw each other. And she said, Augustine, hi. He goes, hi. And she said, Augustine, it's me. And he goes, I know, but it's not me. (laughs) <laughs> wow. Yeah. Isn't that something? <laughs> I love it. And uh, so the the change of life that only Christ can bring, it, it really is meaningful. And um, so how you been? How's everything at Faith Radio, Bill? I, I, I've been good. And we had an amazing uh, fall share last week. We did our fundraiser. And of course, the Faith Radio folks are the most amazing ever. They showed up, they suited up, showed up and gave so generously. And we reached our goal and then some. So it was very thrilling. Praise God. Yeah. Praise God. Yeah. Well, that, that is wonderful. Yeah. That, that is really wonderful. And yeah. your travel schedule, hectic as ever? Uh, yeah, I was in Mississippi this week. I was so blessed to be at a church in a town called Carthage, Mississippi. Uh, First Baptist Church, I was there for four nights, but also got to preach in a prison while I was there. Got nice. to be in a couple of public schools to do public school assemblies and uh, a college 
too. So it was great, and we saw people come to Christ, and we saw Christians get encouraged. And, uh, you know, Bill, a little bit of what I was talking about down there when I was in Mississippi was, um, you know, I I believe our era right now is unique. I mean, it's unique in a lot of ways. But um, one of the things about our timetable right now is the, the global worldwide push against traditional morality. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there, there are so many words being created. We can talk about some of, some of that. But, you know, throughout history, there have always been sin and sinners. I mean, there's always been people doing things that are ungodly. But I think what's really unique about our time as something like, you know, uh, 15% of countries now have a minister of gender equality or a director of equality and so- social justice. Ireland, Canada, South Korea, uh, more and more nations have these equality ministers. Hmm. And as business, government, education, the media, entertainment, and certainly much of the, the tech behind the Internet, um, they're really embracing the progressivism, relativism, hedonism. We can talk about what those words mean. Here's my question, Bill. In in a brave new world without objective morality, can true Christianity really, really function in a world that is, with enforcement, increasingly hostile to God? That's a great point. I just had a, a listener uh, chime in from my interview previous to you, Alex, and we were talking um, about... Uh, privacy issues, uh, the LGBTQ um, agenda and transgender athletes. And, and a very wise uh, listener named David uh, said that he's wondered why no one has coined the term LGBT privilege. Um, yeah, and he said, wow. you know, the God of this world, Satan, has masterfully persuaded millions of people that the most loving people in the most loving religion in the world are actually haters and violent because they tell the truth about sexual reality. Yeah. We are now now the haters. Yeah. You know, um, in in telling people the truth, we're not haters and we're not phobic. You know, we don't hate anybody, not afraid of anybody. You know, we reverence and fear God. That's why I think that we're compelled to tell people the truth. Um, But that's a wise point. Um, I guess I would um, slightly uh, accentuate my question. Can biblical Christianity legally function in a world that has become so hostile to God and morality. Yeah. And the other thing he added in was, as more and more sexual perversions become acceptable in the culture, will Christianity become more and more unacceptable? You know, what is the the most effective way to fight these lies? Yeah. You know, you and I have talked about some of the words that have been coined, like, well, the whole, you know, the alphabet worldview of LGBT, trans, Q, and, you know, there's words like cisgender, C-I-S-G-E-N-D-E-R, mm-hmm. uh, the Latin prefix cis, meaning same. And if, if you were born a male and you live as a male, then you're a cisgender. And yeah. I've read articles where people say, well, you know, cisgenders are biased and uh, they're just unimaginative and Bill, I was reading about a a progressivist, uh, a body positivity person that speaks on university campuses, uh, five thousand dollars a speech, and she said, 
gender essentialism is violence. Now, to believe that your gender is an essential part of who you are, in other words, it's, it's immutable, can't be changed. I mean, you, you could wear different clothes or behave differently. Behavior is mutable. Uh, it's changeable. But your gender is essentially a part of who you are. This social justice speaker traveling to many universities throughout America says gender essentialism is violence. And the people that believe in a binary view of gender, in other words, if you believe, hey, there there are males and females, uh, if you believe in that binary view, you are committing violence. Um, th- this is crazy. Ben Carson, who uh, it's my privilege to know, and he has spoken for us at Truth for New Generation. Keep in mind, he's a medical professional, one of the greatest living surgeons of our time, uh, and he said, you know, transgenderism is is not reality. Um, and he is just coming under such fire. Now, keep in mind, he's not a pastor or a preacher, not even a professor of philosophy of religion or theology. He is a scientist, a medical professional. And that more and more I, I see scientists that are, uh, you know, uh, tepidly with fear and trembling because they know the firestorm that comes down on people that dare go against the LGBT narrative, you know, scientists are saying, look, this is, this is not real. Um, Men are men and women are women, but we're living in a time bill. I want your response to this where feelings trump science. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they do. It's sad. Well, it really isn't. And that's why to everyone listening that is a believer. I mean, if you're a born again believer, we really need to pray. And I would say fast and pray for a a an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Because as much as, you know, I thank God that Faith Radio is on, and it is a high Me privilege too. to be a, a part of it every other week. Uh, look, the body of Christ, we're not afraid of hard work, and I think the, the church ought to be busy and vocal. But without an outpouring of the Holy Spirit to blanket this nation, we really have no hope. I mean, because it's a spiritual battle, it's it's not so much a governmental, educational, or media battle. This is very much a spiritual battle. Mm-hmm. Alex, I'm going to take a little break when I come back. Um, I know you have a Bible in front of you, don't you? I do, yes, yeah. sir. Would you flip open to Titus chapter 3, and the okay. verses would be 3 through 8. And I'd love for you to com- comment on that when we come back. Dr. Alex McFarland is my guest. AlexMcFarland.com is where you go find out and learn more about Alex. We'll be right back. Alex, Alex's walk-up music. Alex McFarland is my guest, and Alex, just during the break, I had a, a listener, Terry, say, uh, Galatians 4.16, how have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Do you know, I have that verse right here. That's I was awesome. just going to say that. Paul, Paul asked this, you know, when he was dialoguing with the Galatians, uh, which about the grace of God, he said, look, am I, am I the bad guy here? Right. <laughs> a- am I your enemy because I'm telling you the truth? Yeah. Um, I'm, hey, you, listener, you get an A-plus for the day, because I was just getting ready to reference Galatians 4.16. Yeah, that's Terry, so give Terry, Terry a big high uh, five. God bless you, my friend. Cool. All right, let's get back to Titus 3. 
does a beautiful um, summary of what's going on in the world and then what happens when the grace of Christ comes in. Yeah. It, let me read it here, Titus 3.3. 3. For we ourselves were also sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. And by the way, I love Titus 3.5. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. You know, um, Bill Maher... Uh, the host of Politically Incorrect, which is not on anymore, but Bill Maher is still a voice in the media. One time I saw a show, um, Bill Arnold, where Bill Maher said Christians are a group who think they're going to go to heaven because they're better than everybody. And obviously that's not true. You know, Christians, we admit that we're sinners. And, And look, when we proclaim righteousness and call people to the living Savior who rose from the dead... Look, you know, we'll, we'll be the first to say, look, we were sinners. We were living the Titus 3.3 life. We were foolish and carnal and sinful. But the grace of God appeared, and we turned our life to Christ. And doesn't that a lot sound like the Romans 1 and 2 passages, Bill, about, you know, sinful, uh, diverse lust? Um, you know, uh, I, I just this morning, I learned a new, while I'm, I'm keeping this ever-growing lexicon, of fallacious uh, words designed to advance the LGBTQ trans agenda. Um, I learned a new one. You might have heard this one. I don't know if you've heard this one. But, you know, there's pansexual, transsexual, this, that, and the other. Have you heard of sapiosexual? No, I haven't. That's, um, and and this is silly, but um, it was a a famous French uh, politician who apparently is, a, you know, a serial adulterer. Mm-hmm. And he, it dawned on him that the the girls that he has affairs with were all highly intelligent, he said, like myself. Ooh. Um, so when you're sexually attracted to somebody because of their mind and you have relations with them because you and they fancy yourselves to be very intellectual, you're, you are a sapiosexual. Mm. Um This is silly, I mean, really, Um, but yet to attempt to legitimize what we know in our heart is deviant behavior. Um, You know, people are creating this lexicon, and it sounds, you know, very impressive and and legitimate, but I think about Romans one twenty two, professing themselves to be wise. They became fools. Um, Look, I love people. Most importantly, Jesus loves people, but we live in a time of... Very little wisdom and very much foolishness and darkness, don't we? We do indeed. Yep, we sure do. Um, I know it's been a, a rough week uh, when we heard about the passing of uh, the pastor in California. Very sad. Mm-hmm. Um, the suicide. Yeah. And we don't know what goes on in people's dark, deep corners, do we? And um, I see that there just seems to be a lot of of stress in the lives of pastors nowadays, um, more so than ever, yeah. it seems. But that's just my observation. What, yeah, what are your you thoughts? Know, sadly, um, I read a stat a few days ago about the majority of people that enter Christian ministry abandon Christian ministry at some point. And, of course, you know, you're referencing Jared Wilson, who mm-hmm. sadly, you know, he had really been an advocate for mental health issues 
and he took his own life, and that that is unspeakably tragic. Um, let me just say this, because invariably, Bill, the question is raised, um, do suicides go to heaven or hell? And, you know, I hesitate to even speak on this. In fact, when I worked for Dr. Dobson at Focus on the Family, which, which I love Dr. Dobson and I love Focus on the Family, but we really weren't allowed to write or speak on this because Dr. Dobson didn't want to ever make people feel like uh, we were never ever saying this is an option or this is okay but let me just say this when we are born again and we're saved we're regenerated positionally we are in christ second corinthians five seventeen. we're in christ so there are two issues in salvation there's sonship and fellowship um as heinous and terrible and bad as suicide is it is bad nobody should ever do it never um, it's been said that suicide is the freedom that ends all other freedoms. And suicide is a, a permanent solution to temporary problems, no matter what you're going through in this life. Uh, it's, you know, it's life. And I want to say this, Bill. Taking, you know, murder is taking something that doesn't belong to us, mm-hmm. even self-murder. But as bad as it is, a born-again Christian would still go to heaven. Suicide is not the unforgivable sin. Now, somebody will quickly say, yeah, but, you know, you die and you can't ask forgiveness for having done that. But, you know, we sin in a myriad of ways that we are not cognizant of. And that's why First John 1, 9 is in the Bible. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So... You know, even a Christian is is going to sin, but nobody should ever commit suicide. And let me just say this, and I'll get off my little soapbox, but uh, Jared Wilson's uh, widow said, tweeted out that Jared is at peace now. And, and I, I get that. I understand that. But um, especially to young people, you know, we don't ever, ever want to presume on God's mercies, and we don't ever want to... Um, say that's an option. I mean, to to take one's life. Yeah, I think about the martyrs. I think about the people that were in the, the prisons and the jails over the years, faithfully serving Christ. And, uh, you know, I got to tell you, Bill, when we, we posh, pampered Americans get to heaven, uh, I think we're going to find out we, we really, the the alleged suffering any American went through was minimal, mm-hmm. minuscule, compared to the people that serve Christ, even through hardness, persecution, and death, uh, you know, letting it naturally come. I, I really, I'm, I'm very concerned that among evangelical younger people, that suicide might just sort of become a little bit okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I, I pray to God it never would. Mm-hmm. Alex, I'd like to take our remaining time uh, and reference uh, one of the books you've written called The God You Thought You Knew, Exposing the Ten Biggest Myths About Christianity. I'd love for you to just, you know, tackle the myth about, you know, a loving God's just not going to send people to hell. Wow. Great question. Thanks. Great qu- Somebody asked um, C.S. Lewis one time, you know, do all people go to heaven? And Lewis responded with a question of his own. He said, well, um, against their will or not, because, um, you know, I believe heaven is offered to everybody. But Jesus 
who is our authority on subjects of life and practice. You know, it's been said that for every time Jesus mentioned heaven, there were approximately three times which he warned of hell. I mean, Jesus took as literally true Satan, demons, sin, judgment, hell. And so, uh, yes, there is, there's a place called hell. Those that reject God's offer of salvation uh, go there. And it is eternal. It is conscious. It is punishment. And so, yeah, hell is real. Um, do you know what? I'll, I'll say this um, when I'm on the road speaking. If I feel so led, sometimes I preach on hell. And I, I talk about reconciling the goodness of God with the reality of hell. Bill, would you believe I've had lots and lots and lots of people say to me over 25 years in 50 states, they'll say, I've been in church two decades. This is the first sermon I've ever heard on the topic of hell. Wow. I'm I'm stunned. But hell is real. And let me just say this, folks. Um, we need a higher view of what it means to be a human being. And God gave us a moral conscience. And part of what it means to be a human, you know, we're made in the image of God. We have this moral awareness. We know about right from wrong. We do. I often, Bill, I often say the right thing to do is rarely a mystery. Yeah. Now, we dance around and, you know, we try to legitimize this or that. But look, deep in our heart, we know what's right. And God offers heaven, but he will not force you. If you don't want Jesus in your life, he's not going to twist your arm. Mm -hmm. And for those that reject Christ and salvation, there's a place in eternity, but it's called hell. Thank you so much, Alex. I know you've had a long day. I appreciate you uh, coming on the show. It's great to be with you, Bill. God Thanks. bless you and all your wonderful listeners, yep. too. Talk to you next time. Dr. Alex McFarland has been my guest. Go to alexmcfarland.com. We'll take a short break and then be back with Dr. Michael Youssef. Welcome back to the show. Dr. Michael Youssef is exactly the person I want to be talking to right now. He's written a book called Counting Stars in an Empty Sky, Trusting God's Promises for Your Impossibilities. Guess what, listeners? 3,000 promises for us in the Bible. And guess what happens when that season of uh, darkness comes over or clouds roll into the sky? We seem to forget some of those promises. We need to we need to be reminding ourselves every day of the great promises. And here to talk about that is Dr. Michael Youssef, founder and president of Leading the Way. Uh, it's a worldwide ministry that that leads um, the way for people living in spiritual darkness to discover the light of Christ. So, Michael, welcome back. Thank you so much, Bill. Good to be with you. I know this book has been inspired. Uh, I know you have found great inspiration in writing this. Well, I'll tell you one thing. This is my 40th book, I think. I lost count. But... Uh, <laughs> My wife, who has been married, we've been married 48 years, and she's my best critic. I love her for it. She made a statement. She said, of all the books, this is your best. I said, well, thank God that that's a great praise. <laughs> <laughs> that means people are going to be blessed reading it. So oh, for sure. I pray that uh, this is the case, that people really, truly be blessed of God and be encouraged and, uh, and, and, and learn to persevere. Absolutely. Now, you make a comparison in, in the introduction of your book that the Ab Abraham is a, a kind of a mirror of your life. 
What do you mean by that? In many ways, it's a matter of, of a lot of believers' lives. Oh, Those for sure. who are trying to live by faith and then encounter a situation and circumstances where God is silent. In fact, I have a chapter on the silence of God. There are four times that we kind of see God being silent, and I delineate all of these in the, from the Scripture. And uh, and then we come. The, the first thing we can think, oh, God is mad with me, or God is angry with me, or this and that and the other thing, and I start connecting dots where there are no dots to be connected, instead of just confidently trusting in God. I mean, one of the reasons that motivated me to really write the book is to. Uh, this is a microwave society. We we just think because we can heat the thing in you know 30 seconds we. Well, we want prayer to work that way, and we want God to work that way. And unfortunately, we have departed from the solid biblical truth of holding onto the promises of God, especially if there are conditional promises, then we hold uh, that we meet the conditions. And if there are unconditional promises, then we just confidently trust that He will keep them. And so that is really the, the, the mission of my life, and I'm 71. Uh, in fact, uh, this week. Uh, so Happy uh, at 71, I'm trying to uh, learn a few, few new things and uh, and try to help others learn them to, as well. Well, Abraham certainly had patience when I think about the way he and God went back and forth. Um, God pretty much said, I'm going to send you out. Abraham said, where? God says, oh, I'll tell you later, just go. And uh, later God says, I'll give you land. Abraham said, where? God says, eh, I'll tell you later, just wander. I mean, there's there's a there's a relationship there of, of patience and trust that's pretty remarkable. It really is. And I often say to people, so remember this. Abraham did not have a Bible, did not have a Bible study, did not have a home group, did not have a church, he did not have a pastor, he did not have a, a council. I mean, he didn't have you know, radio and television, Christian radio and television. I mean, he had nothing except God's Word. He just, he just took him at his word and said, okay. Uh, he identified himself as the God of power and might. Uh, Abraham and his family coming from idol-worshipping uh, culture and society. But he says, well, God spoke, then therefore he's going to fulfill. Somehow he's going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael, you share uh, seven promises that God gives to Abraham. All That's all yep. in chapter one of your book, Counting yep. Stars in yep. an Empty Sky, Trusting God's Promises for Your Impossibilities. I just want to let my listeners hear that title of that book over and over, because that's one they're going to want to get. Um, would you uh, would you share some of those? Well, sure. Uh, you know, the, the one thing you notice about these promises uh, is that always God says, I will, I will, I will, I will. All seven of them. He didn't say, he didn't bargain with Abraham. Uh, there have, we have believers, even today, some Christians say, well, look, God did his part, and I do my part, and it's a joint venture. Salvation is a joint venture. Well, I don't understand that because, uh, you know, Paul said it is by faith, uh, lest anyone should boast uh, by grace. And so, but even so, you know, when God says, obey me, that's all he said to Abraham to do. He said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. And I'm going to do this. And I'm going to give you, you know, descendants like the sand of the sea and the sky, uh, stars in the sky. And he said, all I'm asking you to do is just, Walk blamelessly, blamelessly before me, and um, and and God kept. God did not only initiate the covenant; He kept the covenant. He is the only one who guaranteed the covenant. He couldn't trust Abraham 
to to guarantee that that covenant. He 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 he's the one, and and it's the same thing as Jesus said: "Those whom the Father gives me, I lose none." And I know we have so many people in the professing church and the professing Christians who, you know, they claim all sorts of things. Oh, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus and so forth. But no, show me. <laughs> Don't tell me. Show me. And if if you have received all of the I wills, uh, which we have in the New Testament through Jesus Christ, who is the seed of Abraham, according to Paul in Galatians 3, he said it's not seeds in the plural, it's seed in the singular, naming Christ, namely Christ, and therefore every one of us who are the children of the living God through Jesus Christ, our Savior, uh, we are the descendants, spiritual descendants of Abraham. And that is where the fulfillment of all of these promises, where God said, I will do this, I'll do this, I'll show you the land, I'll give you the land, I'll, I'll make you into a great nation, I'll bless you, I'll multiply you, I'll make your name to be great. All of these blessings become ours now in Jesus Christ. Michael, I would love for you to talk about the, the, the differences between uh, conditional and unconditional promises. I think there's a lot of Christians that will hold on to a promise uh, as if it's going to happen when it wasn't, in fact, an unconditional promise from God. Sure. Well, uh, you, you know, the, the epistle to the Hebrews tells us about, what, I'm just giving you examples. I can go on for most of your time, and you only have short time with me. So, um, you know, I said, remember, he promised never to leave you nor forsake you. That is an unconditional promise. God will never forsake you, will never leave you. And Paul said, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall this, or this, or this, or the other thing? Not even death. No. Nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ, the love of God in Christ Jesus. So there are some unconditional promises like this. But then the scriptures talks about God has a soft spot. That's really what the word means. God loves the cheerful giver, that he has a soft spot for a cheerful giver, that he blesses the cheerful giver in a certain way. So I cannot expect that promise to be fulfilled in me when I'm holding into the tithe and offering in, in my bank account and I'm not giving it to God. And so there are conditional and non-conditional promises. They go all throughout the Scripture. Michael, in chapter 4, you talk about how Abraham chose to go down to Egypt instead of trusting God. What is a modern-day equivalent of that? Well, you know, that we, 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 we begin to trust in our talent, our gifts, our abilities. Uh, we try to trust in, uh, in, the, in, the, in the company that we work for. We trust in the boss or trust in anything. I mean, the Bible calls this uh, idolatry when our focus and trust and absolute, our eyes are, are dependent or are dependent on somebody or something other than Christ Himself. Uh, it's Christ plus nothing, and that is where uh, today a lot of people, you know, we can rely on the government, we can rely on a political party, we can rely on this or that or the other thing. No, no, no. Our reliance must be in God alone. He's the provider. He is the one who uh, blesses us. He is the one who uh, gives us everything that we have. And that is uh, the temptation today, especially in a materialistic, secular mindset, this dominating nature-worshipping culture that we are surrounded with, it, that we begin to place our hope and our trust in something or someone 
not in the living God. That really is the greatest temptation. See, for Egypt has always been that proverbial, uh, you know, like when Jesus talks about you can't serve two masters, God or mammon. Those are the two rivals, uh, and he names it. He names that God, mammon. And in, in the Old Testament, Egypt always the, the number one rival to God. You go and trust in Egypt and the horses of Egypt and the power of Egypt, or you trust in me. And it was always a point of temptation, even way after Abraham, during the the, the time of um, David, after David, Solomon, and then the prophets, and the, and the, and the times of the kings. They're forever being tempted to get, to get the help of Egypt, being a powerful nation at the time. And so... And I love this country. I dreamed of coming to this country. And 45 years ago, I fulfilled that dream. And I, and, but, but I still, despite of this love, and I call myself not hyphenated American. I'm just an American. And I, I, I am totally devout, devoted to this country. But nonetheless, my hope is not in this country. My hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. And so that's the, the, the thing that we take away from Abraham. Uh, panicking and say, oh gosh, the Canaanites <laughs> are suffering the same way I do. I better get a leg up and go down ahead of them to Egypt and and and, and get myself enriched. So, Michael, what would be some warning signs that Christians are heading down to Egypt instead of trusting God? Here's what I I tell the, my congregation on a regular basis for 35 years. It is vitally important to do this audit. And not once a year. I'm talking about daily audit, sometimes even more than once a day. Just take an audit, take a stock of where you are. Where is my reliance? Uh, whom do I trust? Paul said to uh, the Philippians, they said, let your moderation be known to men and needs known to God. We reverse this. We, let, we, tell, we tell our needs to everybody who would listen, and we let show moderation toward God. I think as we examine ourselves, Paul, how many times they say, examine yourself, examine yourself. Are you in the faith? Because it takes only one small step and then a few subsequent smaller steps. And all of a sudden, we lose our effectiveness. Oh, we might be in a, doing a hub of activities. It's like God calling Israel in the past. He said, you're like a vine full of foliage and leaves, but no grapes, no fruit. And so we can get ourselves into this uh, evangelical performance mindset and, and run haggard and, and um, doing things but producing very little fruit. And that only can be maintained by constant self-examination. Yeah, Michael, that'd be a good title for a radio show, The Daily Audit. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. All right, um, let's talk about uh, your, your book title, Counting Stars in an Empty Sky. He loves it when we count stars we can't even see, stars of his promises, stars of his blessings, stars that are ours, even though storm clouds may hide them from this view. What does that mean? Yes, there are certain, as I already talked about, the blessings that God has promised. Uh, David said, I was young. Now I'm old, I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his children begging for bread. Uh, but when we worry and get filled with anxiety, you know, we're, we're really not only doing ourselves a disservice, but we are sinning against God. So what do we do? Even if you can't see it, you can start thanking God for it by thanksgiving and offering. <laughs> not long ago, I, I am one of those blessed people that have never been hospitalized 
in the 71 years I've, I've always been blessed by God and I, I'm just uh, and I, I wasn't feeling well and I was sick in bed and I said and I spent my whole time just praising God and thanking him instead of complaining about how I feel and I thanked him that for the restoration of that health that is coming and it was and it came and so that's what I want people to begin to think to thank God for his blessings we used to sing a song in Sunday school count your blessings name them one by one and the one thing that's going to lift you above the storms of life is to start counting the blessings. In all of the prophets preaching and teaching in Israel, they always started with, even Stephen, the first martyr, he started with what God did. Look what God did. Go through them. The parting of the Red Sea, the plagues in Egypt, and look at the hand of God. They brought them across to the promised land. Always go back and count the blessings and then begin to praise God for them. All of a sudden, whatever problem you may be going through, whatever storm you may be experiencing in life, is going to look so small. That is such great wisdom, Michael. Dr. Michael Youssef is my guest. His book is called Counting Stars in an Empty Sky, Trusting God's Promises for Your Impossibilities. We'll take a very short break and be right back. I have Dr. Michael Youssef on the studio line, and he has written a great book called Counting Stars in an Empty Sky, Trusting God's Promises for Your Impossibilities. And Michael, I just so enjoy getting to know you as well, because um, your ministry has been so powerful over so many decades. And you came to uh, America again from where? Uh, We came from Australia uh, in 1977. I had uh, literally escaped out of Egypt where I was born with the clothes on my back in the 60s. Those were the wild and wily days after the Six-Day War in the Middle East. And um, when I got out of there and God literally took me to Australia, and uh, initially I was coming to the United States, but the embassy closed after the Six-Day War. And I said, Lord, I, I mean, I knew in my heart God was bringing me. I don't know why he... It put that impression in me as an 18-year-old that I'm coming to the United States and I'm going to have a global ministry. But all of a sudden, all these doors are closed. And I said, well, that doesn't make sense. I know God, what God promised. And so I ended up in Australia. But what an amazing blessing, series of blessings that has been those eight, nine, day, nine years I spent in Australia. I met my wonderful wife uh, 50 years ago. We've been married 48 years uh, we had three of our four children born there. I went to seminary there. I was trained there. I was preached and served in a church in Sydney. And then in 77, God brought us to the United States. So we are just so grateful to the Lord for every door of opportunities that he has given us around the globe, 195 countries. I mean, I, I am convinced. I tell this congregation all the time. I said, don't you ever forget that God basically basically looked from heaven and he said, now, I am looking for the most unlikely person that I can find and entrust him with some global ministry. And he kept looking around and finally said, oh, I found him. He is the most unlikely guy. And there then he is. Here, here I popped line. up. Michael Youssef. Oh, that's, that's wonderful. 
But you you felt like you received a promise from God when you were 18. Um, can you talk about some of the lessons you learned from that experience? Well, one of the things that, uh, that always have been uh, uh, kind of in the back of my head, that my mother risked her life to have me. I, three doctors said, you have to have an abortion. But the pastor saw a vision. And again, this is 72 years ago. And uh, then he... But she was a woman of faith who trusted God, and she lived through it. She lived to the, I was 16 years old when she died. And um, so that was a privilege because she was my prayer warrior and, and a, a great blessing in my life. But the, the, the story basically did not make sense to me. Why did she risk her life for me to serve the Lord? All my brothers are bankers and business people. I mean, we don't have any preachers in our family. And I looked around and saw how successful they are, and, and, and I looked up to heaven and I said to God, do you want me to do what? And so I said, if I run away from him and I become damaged goods, he may not use me, be able to use me. And so I ran away from the Lord, but then he brought me back in a supernatural, miraculous way. I wrote, there's, there's a whole book I've written about this called Trust and Obey. And so with that came, I said, okay, God, you know, where do I go from here? And God said, I'm taking you out of Egypt. <laughs> I'm t- literally taking you out of Egypt. And I said, okay, you know, uh, no, this is, has to be a supernatural miracle because it cannot happen in the natural, given all the horrors of those days. And so he did. He literally performed a supernatural uh, act and, and took me out of Egypt when I was days before I could have been dead. I kept trusting. I kept saying in my head, that's why this, this life of Abraham was so real to me. And I kept saying, I know you promised me, and I don't know when you're going to do it, but I know your timing is perfect. As the book says, I just trusted and obeyed, and he took me step by step. And some of them, to me, appeared to be detours, but what a marvelous, wonderful detours have been. Uh, So all in all, I am just um, grateful to the Lord um, for his goodness and for, for his willingness to use even somebody like me. Yeah, amen, Michael. Okay, say, Abraham and Sarah, they uh, learned something from Counting Stars. Would you share some of their lessons? Well, I mean, the very first thing is that uh, Abraham <laughs> obviously had not told Sarah. So uh, the, the, the theophany, the theologian used this big word, that the, Lord, the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ, literally with two angels, appeared in the tent so that Sarah can hear the news because... That's why she laughed, and, and, and she said, well, at my age, I'm, gonna, well, I'm ready for, for the nursing home, not for a, a, a nursery. And, um, but then, you know, when, when the moment uh, she was confronted by the Lord and, and, and joined uh, Abraham and the Lord strengthened their faith, which they really weakened earlier. This is what I want people to know, that these great heroes of the Bible and, and this is the authenticity of our Bible. That anybody doubts the Bible, let me tell you how authentic that Bible is. It could have washed people up completely. It could have starched them and ironed them and wrapped them in a cellophane paper and put them on a pedestal and said, "Hey, you be like this." But thank God that does not happen. It did not happen. That indeed we see their warts and we see their all, so that we can identify with them. And so the Bible shows us the the clay feet of Abraham and Sarah, and that is why they really are a great role model for us. Mm-hmm. What are um, some of the ways that 
listeners and believers can um, protect themselves from not forgetting about God's promises? I think I only know one one thing. I, know, I mean, I am you know one uh, trick pony. If you do not spend time in intimacy with God, mostly the first fruit of the day, um, when God showed me you know, that I was lacking in doing that 30 years ago, and I cried to God and I said, please help me. I have never used an alarm clock since then. For 30 years, I don't use an alarm clock. At 4 o'clock in the morning, I'm up uh, you know, spending time in intimacy with God. As you spend time with the Word of God, and intimacy and prayer with God, God is going to show you. He's going to point things. And many times I'll be reading my daily Bible, and I go through the Bible every year. And the Lord says, you know, the Holy Spirit says, this is a rebuke. This rebuke is for you. Or this encouragement is for you. Or uh, this word of exhortation is for you. And and so that is the only way I know how stay close to the throne uh, in order to protect yourself. You go away from the shadow of the Almighty, and you leave yourself vulnerable uh, to all sorts of uh, things. Michael, we just have a couple of minutes left, and I could talk easily for another hour, but God always keeps his word, but he's oftentimes not in a hurry to fulfill his promise the way we'd like. I know you could give some encouraging words to listeners that might feel a little frustrated right now or might feel a little bit uh, like, where is God in their life? Well, absolutely, and that's why I wrote this book, and I hope that every one of your listeners will call in and get it. In fact, the, the reason I told our ministry team of Leading the Way, ltw.org, if anybody wants to go there, I told them, look, we're not going to, you know, we're not in the book-selling business. Uh, Baker Books does a great job for me, and, and they really market the book, and they do a great job with all my books. I'm so grateful to them. But for us at LTW Leading the Way ministry, we say for a gift of any amount, We'll send you a copy because it, it, we are in the ministry business. We're not in the in the, in the book selling business, and so we we make the books available for gift of any amount in order to help as many people to be encouraged, to lift up their eyes, and to have hope and trust in the living God, not in pop psychology or patting themselves on the back, but to know that the Word of God is an anchor and that God is our fortress, and they can be. Uh, protected and insulated from the enemy's attack inside that fortress. And Michael, if you've written 40 books and your wife has read all 40 of them, I know she loves you very much. Ah, listen, I am the most uh, fortunate and blessed man (laughs) for the past 50 years. Beautiful. And uh, what is your wife's name? Elizabeth. Elizabeth, that's beautiful. Thank you, Michael. And after the queen. Exactly. Thank you so much for your... Uh, powerful testimony, uh, a life that you're living well. That is a great uh, testimony to God's goodness and grace and for your prolific writing. Um, Your book, Counting Stars in an Empty Sky, uh, is going to be a big hit. Thank you so much, Bill. God bless you, brother. Yep, God bless you. Dr. Michael Youssef has been my guest. He's the founder and president of Leading the Way with Michael Youssef. That wraps up our show for the week. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, uh, For supporting Faith Radio, I hope you have a great weekend as you lay your head on the pillow tonight. Just know that God's working on his great plan in your life. It's now time to ring the bell. See you next week.